At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it, but what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths, and if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? Good morning, Woodside. How are you guys doing today? It's great to be with you. As John said, my name is Scott Crosby. I'm the pastor of our Leadership Institute and Global 100. So what I, have ta- what I am tasked to do is help basically raise up the next generation in both local church ministry and global church ministry. So Austin is one of our residents who works with uh, students here. And we have about 25 people uh, in local church ministry across all our campuses. And something that I encourage everyone in the Institute to do is uh, what we seek to do is to lead like Jesus. And it's an honor to be here at Lapeer. And one of the things I appreciate most about Pastor John is his uh, servant heart that he has after the heart of Jesus, uh, who is our servant. And so it's great to be with you guys this morning, jumping into God's Word. If you want to join me, we're going to be in 1 Timothy together, chapter 2 this morning, as we continue our series, Church, Why Bother? This morning, we're going to be talking about prayer together as Paul gives this charge to uh, his uh, apprentice, his mentoree, uh, Timothy. And so I thought we would pray together before we jump into this scripture. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, for the opportunity to gather as a church family, Lord, to gather with one another and look to you, our King and our Savior. God, we pray as we uh, go through life that we would take this time to look to you, God, in all of our needs and all of our Uh, wants and all of our hurts. Uh, We know that you are on the throne, uh, that you are God who's in control, and that you are our Father who loves us and who hears from us, God. So help us as a church family to uh, just look to you today. And as we uh, seek you out in prayer this week, Lord, would you continue to do a special thing here in our community, in this church, uh, Lord, that we can continually become more surrendered to you and your will and to pray for those around us, God. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a survey done recently about prayer, and the statistic was that in America, 80% said that they pray, uh, which is a good number, 80% uh, said that they were people of prayer. Um, But they started to ask a couple more questions within that, like, uh, what do we pray about, or who do we pray with? And uh, you may not be surprised to hear that most people from this survey answered they pray about themselves and by themselves. Uh, my son is 20 months, almost two. So my wife and I typically most nights have kind of a bedtime routine that, you know, depending on the night, goes better than some nights. And one of those includes a little prayer, you know, before bed. And so we'll go to my son, you know, you want to you wanna pray together, buddy? And uh, that's met on the night, you know, with differing responses because he knows that means he's about to have to go to bed. Uh, but when we start talking about it, we say, you want to pray together? And uh, what should we pray for tonight, buddy? You want to, this is something that he's been doing this last week. He starts responding to us, you know, you want to pray for mom? You say, no. Okay. You want to pray for daddy? No, no. Okay. Uh, how about, you know, your cousins? No. Grandma? No. Grandpa? No. Everyone we say no, and then we'll get to, you know, this one person, uh, Emerson, we call him E sometimes. You want to pray for E? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I'll pray for myself. So we pray together and then end up praying for everybody else. But when we talk about prayer this morning, we're talking about prayer together as a church family. And as this survey said, when people say they pray, oftentimes uh, it's praying for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that, to pray by yourself and for yourself. Uh, In fact, the psalmist, many of the prayers in psalms are uh, individualistic, if you will. It's prayers individually, where the psalmist says in chapter 3, verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? In four one, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Psalm six one, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Psalm nine one, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I recount all your wonderful deeds. And so, individual prayer is good to pray for ourselves, by ourselves. But there's also a different type of individualism that we want to talk about or wrestle with some of the tension that the culture is really made more prevalent in the Western church or in America or just in culture today. And that's more of a spirit of individualism uh, that says that the person or a person speaks or acts exclusively for themselves with no consideration or reference to other people. And in many ways, society says, do what's best for you, focus on yourself, try and get better yourself. And what Paul is encouraging Timothy in this passage is that when we pray, while it's good to pray for yourself and by yourself, it's also important to pray together for all people. It's important as a church family that we spend time in prayer with one another to God for other people beyond just ourselves. And Paul is encouraging Timothy with that is that God's design for his church is to pray together for all people. Offering prayers as a spiritual family for, yes, our spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our needs, our concerns, our hang-ups, but also for the world around us, for the community around us, and for people who are broken and in need of Jesus. And this is what Paul believed as he gives Timothy a list of specific instructions of how to lead the church. This is really in 1 Timothy, a letter that Paul is giving his young mentor in how to lead a church. And if you were here with us in chapter 1, Paul lays out some things to look out for, like false teaching, false doctrine. He reminds Timothy to defend the good news of Jesus, that he came to redeem and rescue all people through his death, burial, and resurrection and work on the cross, to defend that, to not let uh, false teaching creep into the church. And then over the next uh, few weeks and few chapters, we're going to be looking as a church family, why bother with church? Why bother? Why do we do this thing called church? And we look at these foundational things that Paul will lay out for Timothy. And the first he lays out is prayer. Paul says the foundation of church is prayer or connection with God. Now, I realize in many ways it's a mystery thinking about prayer and how God's plan of redemption works itself out. We know that God is sovereign over all things, so that means he knows the outcome of things. Uh, He knows the things on our heart before we even speak them. Um, He knows uh, what is going on in the world around us, and yet he responds to our prayers in real time and tangible ways. 
And how this all works out is more than we can figure out in a talk or even just trying to figure out God in that paradox. But uh, what we can do is recognize that God calls us to pray together. And so we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 together. And so if you join me together, we're going to see that we're called to pray, but most specifically, what are we called to pray for? Paul answers this question of what should the church pray for by three key answers in this text. The first is this, we're called to pray for all people. 1 Timothy 2.1 says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, this chapter starts off with first of all. This is the above all or foundational thing that Paul is encouraging Timothy with and how to lead the church. He's saying, first of all, I urge you to pray. This is the primary task of the church. It's interesting when you think about the ministry and work of Jesus, how often he, when he was with his disciples, would withdraw to pray. How often he would spend moments with his disciples in prayer, connecting to the Father in time with communion. And how even later in his ministry, Jesus would go into the church and remind the church that my house shall be called a house of prayer. We're called to pray as a church family. It's what Paul is encouraging Timothy with as he's starting out, as he's building this church. How do you guard against false doctrine? How do you make sure the church stands firm? You pray together for all people. It's the first of all. My wife is a nurse, and I think of maybe uh, someone older who's been a nurse before coming to her as she worked her first day. You know, how do you be a nurse? What do you do? And I'd imagine the first of all for a nurse would be, we exist to help people who are sick, help hurting people who are sick. The first of all for the church is we pray. Why? Because we're talking to God. And when we talk to God together, there's something spiritual that's happening beyond the physical. And we're asking God to do what God can do and we cannot do. We're called to pray. And Paul uses these four words as he explains prayer. And he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now that word supplication has to do with passionately asking, almost humble begging. Paul is telling Timothy not just to pray and ask once, but to pray in such a way that there's passion, that there's a repetitive asking of God to do this with supplications and with passion. And he goes on to say to use prayers, which is an interesting thing to think about praying with prayers kind of makes my head hurt a little bit, but what that Greek word prayer means is talking about bringing the people for whom we're praying for, for this general blessing and care. It's basically bringing people to God for care and blessing is what prayer is in this context. And then he goes on to say beyond prayer and supplications to make intercessions. And what this word intercession means is it's typically carrying the image of coming before a king and passionately appealing for the king's favor for somebody else. 
So it'd be a subject going before the king who's in authority over the land, who's in control saying, can you move on this person's behalf? Can you help them? Can you do something for them? And what Paul is saying to Timothy is through prayer, we're called to pray for other people, to make supplications and passion, to bring forth cares and hurts, but to do so in such a way where we recognize we're going to a king who is over all, who is in authority, and who has power. And so we make intercessions. And then finally, it's with thanksgiving. That means expressing gratitude for the person that we're praying for. It's not just asking God for something for someone, but thanking God for someone. And so it's amazing that Paul says here not to just pray, but it's really to make prayer a part of who you are. It's a part of everyday conversations with God as people come to your mind, as you think about things at work or with your family. It's to bring those things before God in prayer continually. But then Paul goes on to say to pray with these way, in these ways, but he says, who should the church pray for? Who should the church pray for? We're called to pray for all people. And if you're taking notes this morning or do any underlining, go ahead and write down or underline that word, all people. Paul encourages Timothy to pray for everyone, to go before the throne of grace, to talk to God about everybody. Who does this include? Everybody. All people. This includes our neighbors that we don't get along with so well and our neighbors that we have over all the time. This includes our coworkers that we get along with and have a good time at work with, your work bestie, but it also includes your boss that maybe you don't get along with so well. This includes people in Lapeer, but also people all over Michigan. This includes all people, not just in Michigan, but all over the country and all over the world. Paul gives this great umbrella for this prayer to pray for all people. It's amazing to think about this call to the church is that we're responsible to pray for all people. It's to just bring everybody before God in prayer. It's amazing when Jesus is talking about prayer uh, in the section of Luke, Before he tells his disciples about prayer, he gives this story. And in this story, he describes two women, Mary and Martha, who were both serving. And one of the women, Martha, continued to serve when Jesus arrived. She was preparing a meal for Jesus. And the other woman, Mary, went and sat at the feet of Jesus. And she's talking with Jesus and communing with him. And then Martha comes by and is like, Jesus, what's going on here? Mary has left her post at the dinner prep station and she's now just hanging at your feet spending time with you and what does Jesus say to Martha he says Mary has chosen the better thing because she is spending time with Jesus she's spending time with God she's spending time in communion see what can happen of life and schedules is we can get so busy doing things that we forget to spend time at the feet of Jesus It's out of this that all of our doing flows, our relationship with God. As Christians, what we get is God, a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And he desires that we spend time with him every day as we go through life and not just do things for him, but be with him in communion. And then Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples after he spends some time in prayer, this is how you pray. And he says, our Father who art in heaven. See, as we pray as a church family, the beautiful thing we do is we say, Our Father, 
We may not all look alike, work the same jobs. We have some differences, but friends, we're unified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a unified church, and when we pray, it shows the outside world that we are with union together because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that we may have some differences, but we are unified when we say, Our Father, we're his sons and his daughters, and we're called to be a church family that prays for all people. Now, this includes people all over the world. I lead a program called the Global 100 that is our senior pastor, Chris Brooks's initiative and vision to raise up 100 young next-generation missionaries to take the good news of Jesus all over the world. Now, why would we as a church family want to go beyond our neighbors and go beyond the hurt that's going on in the communities around us? Because the world is a broken place, not just here, but all over the world. And more specifically, there are places in the world that don't have good Bible-believing churches, where people don't know about Jesus and have people that can share about the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, of the billions of people in the world, over three billion people are what's called unreached people. That means they don't have access to the gospel or good news of Jesus. They don't have access to the only hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we as a church family desire to raise up 100 next generation missionaries to go to these unreached and unengaged people groups. And you can take a short term trip this year to go somewhere to be the hands and feet of Jesus or to share his message. But you know what else we can do, church family? We can pray. We participate in building the kingdom of God all over the world without having to take a step outside of our doors through prayer, through petition, through supplication, through crying out for the lost, through crying out for the hurting. Specifically, one resource you may want to look at if you're interested in what's going on all over the world is called Joshua Project. You can go to joshuaproject.com and they'll list a country and their religious beliefs or things that are going on there and how you can pray for people to meet Jesus all over the world. We're called to pray for all people. What else should the church pray for? Well, Paul moves from the general to the specific. And maybe the group he talks about next surprises you. He says, when you pray for all people, pray specifically for government leaders. 1 Timothy 2.2 says this, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, praying for kings was a reference to praying for whoever was serving in this time as the Roman emperor. And now maybe that doesn't sound all that unusual, but in this context and at that time, the Caesar or Roman emperor was a man named Nero. And Nero historically was known as someone who persecuted Christians in a great way. And so Emperor Nero would have Christians rounded up and killed in gruesome and horrific ways. There was this great persecution going out against the church. And what does Paul say to Timothy, his young protege, and how to respond to government leaders who are opposed to Christians? What does Paul say to Timothy to do to Nero or the king or the leader who is opposed to the ways of God? Who is in such a 
gruesome way, killing Christians, doing these horrific things? Does he say to get your sword and rise up against him and fight? He says to pray for our leaders, to pray for those who persecute us, to pray for this king, this emperor Nero, who is over them and not for God. And why does he call us to pray for government leaders who are above us? Well, there's many reasons, but one of the main prayers that we pray for all people is that we desire all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. It's to pray for those who are over us in authority for their spiritual health, for their spiritual well-being, because we have the answer to life's greatest problem, Jesus Christ. And we can pray on their behalf Though they may be wicked or they may be evil or they may not be following God, we have the ability to pray and go to God that we have received for our salvation. So what does that mean for us today? It's that we're called to pray for our government leaders. That's for our local officials here in Lapeer. It's for our officials here in Michigan. It's for our nation's leader. It's for President Biden. It's for those who are elected into office. It's to pray for those officials that we could hear about or know of all over the world. It's to pray for leaders. Now, what this doesn't mean is as we pray for leaders, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with every political opinion and policy that they have, but it does mean that we're called to pray because we're called to show Christ's love to everybody and those who are in authority over us. What else does Paul say, or Paul say to Timothy is that this is good, or before that he says uh, that we pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we pray for a peaceful and quiet life through the ruling officials that they may seek God and know God and put policies in, faith, in place that glorify God. But even when that doesn't happen, we still pray. And we don't pray just for a comfortable life. When you hear peaceful and quiet life, that is something that we're called to live out of here. But it doesn't mean we're called to pray that we can get all of the resources into our house and into our pockets so that we don't have to do anything for God because we're just nice and comfortable and quiet and there's no problems. While that sounds nice, it's counterintuitive to our message of the gospel, which is actually to go out and to build and bring hope to the world around us. And so we're called to pray for those who are in authority, and we're called to pray for everyone. Now, why do we pray? I think there's a few key reasons why we pray together as a church family. The first is this, prayer moves the ear of God. The psalmist writes in 116, I love the Lord because he heard my cry for mercy, and he bends his ear to me. See, as we pray to God, he listens to us because he's our heavenly father. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven of your sins and adopted into the family of God. Now we allow, we're allowed to call God our father at all times, in all moments, no matter what we're walking through. We go to God as our loving father. He loves you right where you are, right as you are. He loves you unconditionally and he desires you to pray. And when you do, he bends his ear to you. It's like last night I was uh, tasked by my wife to uh, put together a little bookshelf for our son. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, it's okay. It's a bookshelf, but I found out it's an Ikea bookshelf. And so I already started praying before, you know, I got the tools and starting to put it together. And then around the corner, here comes my son. And my son's coming, running around the corner, and I'm, you know, just 
got the tool, tool kit out, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, and yet here comes my son running. What is he yelling? Dad, 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 he's got a toy. He's got something he wants to talk to me about. And of course, what am I going to do? Even though my wife's like, we got a deadline, we got to do this before bedtime, you know, I got all the tools out. I'm going to go to my son. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to spend time with him. And how much more does our Heavenly Father, when we talk to him as a church family, does he incline his ear to us to listen? Additionally, we pray because it moves God's hand, because it works, because God moves as we talk to him. God is not distant, dead, or dormant. He is awake. He is alive. He is risen from the dead. And as we pray, it moves his hand. Think of the early church as this persecution was breaking out. James had been killed and Peter's in prison and the church begins to pray. And they pray for Peter and his release. And what happens? Something crazy happens and God's hand moves. And Peter is released from prison. And he goes to this prayer group where the church is praying. He knocks on the door. And the person who answers like, is so amazed that God has answered this prayer that she thinks it's maybe a ghost. She's like, is this really Peter? Did God really answer this prayer? Yes, God answered that prayer. And today, as we cry out for our family who's hurting, as we ask for God to provide for way, in ways that we need, as we pray for the spiritual climate of the city around us and for people to meet and know Jesus, God hears our prayer and his hand is moved. God moves when we pray. But we also pray because it moves God's ear, it moves his hand, but because it moves our heart. As we pray, it aligns our heart to the heart of God. As Jesus is explaining prayer to his disciples, at the end he's giving comparison of uh, an earthly father to a heavenly father, giving good gifts. And he says, how much more will your loving father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As we pray and cry out to God, we experience the presence of God, which transforms us into the image of Christ and calls us to participate into his world around us. It makes the cares and concerns of this world feel lighter. It makes the distractions that we wrestle with, the things we can focus so much on, like our finances and 401ks and jobs and material things around us, it puts them to the uh, side perspective and puts God on our forefront and his purposes and his plan and his way. And so we pray together. But we don't just pray and stop. We continually pray. And we're called to pray finally, not just for all people and for the government, but we're called to pray specifically for the gospel to advance. Friends, this is our mission as the church family to help people meet and know Jesus because he's the savior of the world. And Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Verse 7, for this I was appointed a preacher and am an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. In Paul's world, people believed and worshipped multiple gods. It was a pantheon of gods that they would go to for uh, religious reasons. And Paul reminds us that there is only one God. There is only one name that is above every name. There is only one who we worship. John the Baptist, as he was in his ministry, as Jesus was coming, he said, there is one who is coming who I am not worthy to tie his shoe. 
Like he is the one who is worthy, the Messiah. And we have a God who is worthy to worship. And the amazing thing about this God who we talk to is that he came on a rescue mission for you and for me. He didn't leave us dead in our trespasses and sins, enslaved to our sins, but he made a way so that we could have a relationship with him and walk in newness of life. How? Because Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. In first century world, a ransom would be the money paid to a slave owner to free a slave. The gospel makes it clear that we are all slaves to sin and that through God's initiative, through his action, through Jesus giving himself, we are all offered freedom through faith. That when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, that you experience freedom from slavery to sin and your sin is paid for, the debt that we owed is paid for and we receive forgiveness for all time and eternal life. And that's the gospel message that we pray spreads across this region. It's great to be the hands and feet and provide tangible needs to people around us, but what everybody needs is Jesus Christ. Amen? We all need Jesus, and Jesus has come for everybody. And so when we pray, we pray that the gospel advances. See, prayer is a process. We come to Jesus in salvation, and in a moment, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Your bonds are taken onto Jesus and he gives you freedom and forgiveness from guilt and shame and he loves you unconditionally. But now until we get to heaven, it's a process of looking more and more like Jesus. Not to earn his love, it's unconditionally given to us, but it's a process to walk this out. And how do we walk this out? Through prayer. As a church family, we pray together so that God looks at us bends his ear to our church. He moves his hand for our church. But so our church family doesn't become reliant in and of ourselves and our programs and the things that we do, but we say foundationally, this is you, God, and it is yours. I have a friend of mine who was, who's trying to uh, get into, uh, it's an interesting career, to field goal kicking. And so uh, he's a kicker, and uh, he's a young guy, so he's trying to go to college to be a, a field goal kicker. And he was uh, recently at a field practicing kicks. You know, uh, I guess, like, you know, if you can't make it in soccer, go for it. I think the Cowboys need a kicker. You know, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's something that could happen. You know, I'm sure one day it'll work out for him. So he's practicing kicking, and he's trying to, you know, connect with the college, maybe get a scholarship. And so he just prays. You know, he prays, God, help me today. Help me, you know, just with this Thing that I'm pursuing, trying to get better at it. And uh, there's a father and a son that's at this field. And as he's kicking, the guy comes over to him and has a conversation with him. And it turns out that his son is uh, a kicker for a college and he's a well-connected coach. And so he connects my friend with another coach who's like a trainer for kicking. And that's what he wants to do is to train more. And so he comes to me, he's like, Scott, this is amazing. God heard my prayer. God answered my prayer. And that week he calls the coach. He calls the coach. He can't get a hold of him. He's like, Scott, I can't get a hold of the coach. What's going on here? I'm trying to get, get a hold of him. What's going on here? See, as we pray, God isn't just a vending machine in the sky where we push the button and we get what we want from God and then we just go on our way to live life. See, the point of prayer is communion with God. And so I don't know what's going on with God and this guy in life and he prays, but I know this. I said, well, do you think you got to pray more now about this connection with the coach? 
is that in life, when we face problems, when we face challenges, even as a church, that we're in process together to make Jesus more beautiful in this region. That we're in process together to daily depend on God and to show the world that he is our only hope. So we're called to pray together as a church family. Why? Because it connects us to the heart of God so that when the world looks at us from the outside, they know that we have a Father who loves us and who's walking with us through life and who's given us ultimate forgiveness and freedom in Jesus Christ. So let's pray for that gospel to advance around us that we can continue to see Christ do a mighty work in this region. Let's pray together and I'll invite the band up to worship together as a church family. Dear Lord, we come to you in prayer through worship in this time to sing and celebrate your name. We personally reflect on the work that you've done for each of us, God. We come before you and recognize that you were our ransom, that you paid our bill, a debt and penalty that we couldn't pay ourselves because of our sin going our own way and being separated from you, God. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your unconditional love, Jesus, for dying for us. Help us to advance that gospel through prayer, first of all, through interceding on our neighbors and friends and family's behalf who do not yet know you, Jesus. We pray here this morning for anyone that has yet to surrender their life to you, Jesus, and enter into a personal relationship that you would draw them in and they would forgive, ask for forgiveness and look to the cross and become born again. We thank you, Jesus, for this church family. I thank you for this church family that prays. If we had people come up to the microphone to share stories of how you faithfully moved through the prayers in their family and this church community, we would be up here all day giving you glory and praise because you are faithful to hear and answer our prayers. So we go to you, our faithful Savior, this morning in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.